let me share what your question brings to mind. And that is it's related to trust. And it's one of our simple truths is that trust requires a risk. Leaders have to extend trust first to their people. Many leaders fall into the trap of thinking, well, just because I'm the leader by virtue of my title or position, everybody trusts me, right? Mm. And that's not the case. Leaders have to extend trust first to their team members. Trust doesn't happen in a relationship. Welcome to the Jess Larson Show, where I interview innovators, leaders, and uncommonly high achievers. Uh, today on the show, I've got Randy Conley. Randy, thanks for doing this. My pleasure, Jess. Great to be here. So rather than trying to give the condensed version, tell us, give me the, the full title of what you do at the Ken Blanchard Companies and what that actually means. Yeah, we were joking that my title can barely fit on a business card. My title is Vice President of Professional Services and Trust Practice Leader. It's a big fancy way of saying I lead all of our trainers and consultants, and I'm also our subject matter expert on building trust in relationships. That's great. You know, I don't imagine there are people, but in case people don't know Ken Ken Blanchard and, and the Ken Blanchard companies, you know, one of the stats that sticks out to me is 23 million books sold. What, what are what are other stats for people to give just a sense of, of just what a major player in the leadership space you guys are? Wow. Well, yeah, that, that number obviously is from Ken's uh, combined book sales. So of course, Ken Blanchard Companies were a leadership training and development firm founded by Ken Blanchard, the famous co-author of The One Minute Manager. And Ken has written over, well, I think my book with him is number 66. Wow. Can't imagine writing that many books. Isn't that crazy? But we have about 250 employees around the world. We work with sort of the Fortune 1000, helping them build their leadership capacities. And I've been with the company for over 25 years, and I can't think of a better organization to work with because we literally get to change lives every day. You know, people spend two thirds of their waking hours at work, right? And we get to help those people have a much more enjoyable, productive, healthy life at work. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. It's interesting to me to think about how much we take for granted in organizations of what people should know or how people should act when so often as leaders, well, I'll, I'll just say this morning, I had a situation where I had some frustration with how something was going in our company. And then I had to ask myself, like, really, did you give clear instructions or were you just hoping they'd read your mind? Yeah. Like yeah. you, you've spent, you know, you went to art school before getting into finance. You've, you've done these artistic things for two decades now since then. And you're shocked when staff members who didn't have that background don't automatically know what you mean. Yeah, you know, like, like you can't read my mind. Like, what's going on here? Yeah, you know, I'm really interested to hear you talk about trust. Well, first, uh, tell people the name of the new book and the best place to get it. So, our new book is called "Simple Truths of Leadership: 52 Ways to Be a Servant Leader and Build Trust." And our fun little third tagline there is making common sense, common practice. And you can find it at all of your favorite booksellers, probably the easiest for most of us. Jump on Amazon.com, search for Simple Truths or Kim Blanchard or Randy Conley, and you will find it there. Great. And if you had to describe people, the main premise of the book, if they take the time to get the book, what, what do you think they'll walk away with? 
they will walk away with being reminded of many simple truths of leadership that they probably learned at some point, but really haven't been practicing. Or they may learn some new simple truth that really help them become a better servant leader and build higher trust and relationships. You know, most, well, let me say this, leadership itself is a complex field, right? I mean, there are tens of thousands of books published every year on leadership alone. And yet at its core fundamentals, there are simple practices that we can all employ to be effective as leaders. And that's what we tried to call people back to. So we very intentionally included 52 right? One each week that leaders can uh, focus on and practice. The book gives them the principle, the simple truth, and some very clear action steps on how you can start to apply that. So it's really sort of like a leadership devotional book in a sense. You can just read one per week, focus on that. And I guarantee you, if you do that, you're you're going to notice improvements in your leadership. Yeah. Well, let, let's go through a couple of them. What's one of your favorites from the book? Wow. One of my favorites on, well, let me first say the book is divided into two sections. The first 26 simple truths are about servant leadership and the second 26 are about trust. So I would say one of my favorite from the servant leadership side is all good performance starts with clear goals. That's a simple truth. And I picked that one because of what you just said a few moments ago. What? You can't read my mind about what I wanted you to do? right? It's so simple, yet we forget to apply it, right? Every day is set clear goals. It reminds me of, you know, an Alice in Wonderland. When Alice is on her journey, she comes to a fork in the road and she meets the Cheshire cat. And she asks the cat, well, which direction should I go? And the cat responds to her and says, well, that depends on where you're going. And she's like, well, I don't know where I'm going. He says, well, any road will get you there. You know, if we don't give our people clear goals, show them where they're supposed to go, where they're supposed to go, then we have, you know, no excuses for when they're wandering off in the wilderness somewhere. So that's, that's one of the simple truths that stands out to me. All good performance starts with clear goals. When you think of, again, simple truths, name of the book, right? Mm -hmm. You think of something so simple. Why do so many of us leaders skip that one or forget it or or why isn't that obvious to us that maybe our staff aren't resisting us? Maybe we weren't clear enough. Yeah. Well, my experience has been that most leaders, we have good intentions. You know, I, I don't think there's too many leaders that roll out of bed in the morning and say, you know what, I'm just going to go and give it to my people today. You know, I'm going to mess with them and make their life miserable. I think most of us just get in our routines and we just get so, you know, it's like blinders on, right? We, we get our blinders on, we get to work and we just get in work mode. And we forget that work is accomplished through people. As leaders, we have to multiply our influence with everyone on our team, right? Many, many small business owners experience this problem of they, they found their business, they run it, they're the one man show, the one woman show. And then it gets to a certain level where they have to multiply their influence. They can't be at the same place all the time, right? So they have to bring others in. And it's when they get to that point, I'm just using that as an illustration that you, you realize, wow, I can't do this alone. I need people. 
So leading a team, an organization, a business, it's all about you and the other people. It's about we, not me. And I, I just think we get so locked in on our day-to-day that we forget about those simple truths. You know, I'm interested. I know so often you guys are working with the largest, most prestigious organizations in the world, but let's talk about that population for a minute. Let's say somebody's a startup and, you know, <laughs> maybe the business isn't that different than being self-employed with some helpers to begin yeah. with, right? And they finally get to this point where they're they're transitioning into, they're transitioning into this more of like building the systems, not being the system and this kind of stuff. Can you talk about being a servant leader when, when you are still kind of like the business is you, like if you left, there is no business. And so in many ways, it is primarily an organization supporting you, which is how you're going to grow enough to, mm-hmm. so that you can create systems and hire the extra staff. Um, And it, to me, it can feel like a a little bit of a tug of war of the individual who they're the face of the business. They basically are the business, right? And yet they, they want to care about, they want to take care of their people because they care about them. They want to be more of that servant leader. And so I guess this is kind of a meandering question, but I, I would say this, do you have any good examples of being a servant leader to your support staff? Well, Before I give an example, let me share what your question brings to mind, and that is it's related to trust, and it's one of our simple truths is that trust requires a risk. Leaders have to extend trust first to their people. Many leaders fall into the trap of thinking, well, just because I'm the leader by virtue of my title or position, everybody trusts me, right? Mm. And that's not the case. Leaders have to extend trust first to their team members. Trust doesn't happen in a relationship until someone makes the first move to extend it. You're at a stalemate if nobody extends trust. And in a leadership context, the leader has to go first. And so to your question, I think that's something people have to start to learn is that if this is going to scale, if I'm going to scale this operation beyond just me, I have to start extending trust to others. And that's scary. That's a risk, right? They may let me down. They may not do it exactly the way I would do it or to the same level of quality that I would do it. And yet, if you don't take that risk and extend trust, you're going to be stuck where you are. So I encourage leaders, if that's a real scary proposition for you, take baby steps, you know, extend trust in areas where you feel comfortable, let people prove themselves, right? And then give a little more leash, right? Extend it out further and further and gradually extricate yourself from that situation to where, yeah, your team is doing it on their own. So that's what comes to mind when, you know, when you say you're kind of the, you're you're at that tipping point between being the the one man band, but yet you kind of need others to shoulder some of the load. Or even if you're a well-funded tech startup or something, yeah. like at first you're the one with the vision, you raise the money and not every, like not everybody, it is an amorphous thing. We're not, we're not, we're still in discovery mode. We're not executing a known business plan. We're trying to figure out a duplicatable business, right? And then you start to get that figured out and then you need to build a system that can be more of an execution machine of of repeatability, right? And what Um, do so many of those organizations do? They try to bring together the best and brightest, right? They hire phenomenally talented people. Why would you not want to unleash their brilliance, right? And 
but yet you as the leader have to set enough of a vision and a direction, going back to the simple truth, all good performance starts with clear goals, right? You've got to at least set the target clear enough to where you can say, okay, folks, you've got enough to know this is the direction we're heading. Okay, you do what you do best, you know, and let's, let's work in partnership which is really what servant leadership is. It's a side-by-side partnership leadership philosophy. It's not command and control. I'm the boss telling you what to do, when to do, how to do it. It's here's the vision, right? You probably heard Ken say this in your interview with him, which I listened to, and it was a great interview. And by the way, anyone listening to this, if you haven't listened to Jess's interview with Ken Blanchard, you're missing a gem. You should go listen to it. But Ken loves to talk about the two parts of servant leadership, right? The leadership part is the pyramid, the leader at the top, setting the vision, direction, goals. But once that's clear, you flip that pyramid and the leader becomes the servant, partnering side by side with the people to help them get what they need, the direction and support to achieve those goals. So it's a, it's a both people and results, relationships and results are important. Um, it makes sense. And uh, this maybe is, is a bit of a lead-in, or at least I'll make it a lead-in. You have an award-winning blog. You have been recognized on all sorts of lists, you know, Forbes and all sorts of people as, as really a top expert in the world when it comes to the subject of trust and trust building. What's one of the, what's one of the first things that you would have to say for folks who they have got far ahead in their career? They Maybe they are running a very large organization or very well-funded organization. They have a lot of financial success. And yet they recognize getting to the next level is going to be required. You know, I'm going to have to become that trusted advisor to another level of client, or I'm going to have to become a a trusted individual to that next larger source of funding. You know, I've I've been able to get the venture capitalist, but now I need pension funds because we're going public or Mm -hmm. um, those people who have got a lot, got a lot done in life because of the trust they have built, but now they need to go to that next level of trust building. What's the thought that you would have for those, those folks? It never stops. You never stop building trust. I say all the time, building trust is a journey. It's not a destination you reach. You know, it's whether you use synonyms like reputation or brand image or, you know, any of those things, in many ways, they're synonymous with trust. Are you a trusted advisor to both your employees, to your colleagues, to your customers, to your suppliers, to, you know, your your funders, your investors? It's 360, 24-7, all the time. And it's not something that you can just, you know, post on the wall, right? Pretty much every organization in the world has some form of trust as one of their values, right? Integrity, trust, whatever. But are you living it, right? It starts on the inside. The best way to build trust is to be trustworthy. You have to model it as the leader. Everyone is looking to you. And one of the things that gets me is, I ask people when I speak to them frequently, I'll say, okay, raise your hand if you consider yourself untrustworthy. How many people in a group do you think raise their hand? Nobody. Right, zero. Nobody raises their hand. And then I'll ask a second question. Okay, how many of you have have experienced or currently have low trust relationships? Almost everybody raises their hand, right? Well, how does that work? If nobody thinks themselves untrustworthy, how do we have trust issues in relationships? Obviously, there's a gap. We, most of the time, unintentionally erode trust with others, right? 
So trust doesn't happen by accident. You have to be intentional about building trust. And unfortunately, most people don't really think about trust until it's not there, right? It's sort of like the quote about oxygen. We, we take oxygen for granted until we don't have it, right? Same with trust. And I, that would be my encouragement to all those successful leaders that you just talked about is I rue the day when you wake up and realize you don't have trust, right? We always have to keep it front and center. It has to be our top priority. We have to live the message. We are the message, right? We are the brand. Our company to whoever we're interacting with, we are the brand. So, you know, if it's just an outward behavior appearance thing for you to accomplish your goal, that's a house of cards that's going to fall at some point. You have to believe it and live it on the inside. You know, it's interesting as you're saying that I'm trying to do like a self-inventory, right? Our One of our companies, Greystoke Investments, we're doing equity crowdfunding raise, a 506C raise, which just means I can advertise it to anybody, but I can only take money from accredited investors, okay? okay. So like right now we're, we're building like a tiny house adventure cabin out on the ocean. We're, gonna, we're doing things like this to put them on Airbnb, right? And I've been raising money since, I don't know, 2004. So it's like 18 years maybe, right? And it's primarily most of my career, it's been some high net worth individual. And now we've moved up to family offices, you know, these, these family members that are kind of in the hundreds of millions plus kind of level. And it's very similar. And then there are some slight differences, you know, and I'm trying to think about how you apply it. And I'm just thinking, yeah, what does that mean? And have I really done it? And it's like, I mean, when I think about behaviors, things like, basic things like do what you say you're going to do when you say you're going to do it. Yeah. Right. And it's like, I don't think any of us think we don't do that, but I'm sitting here asking myself, are there times when I'm close, but was, you know, like, is there times when I miss that slightly? Are there, you know, in what ways am I not doing that? Or yeah. any other, any other advice for me of my little self inventory here? Yeah, absolutely. You know, there are four elements of trust. When you look at trust in a relationship, there are four core elements. And those elements are competence, integrity, connectedness, and reliability, okay? We created a handy little acronym to help people remember those called the ABCDs of trust. So here's the A, ABLE. Are you an ABLE leader? Do you demonstrate competence in what you do, right? Do you have the right knowledge, skills, training, education for whatever role you're in? That's ABLE. Are you a believable person? Are you a person of integrity? Do you walk the talk? Do you have honorable values? Do you live by your values, right? Both personally and organizationally. Do you model the organization's values? Do you tell the truth? Are you fair? The C stands for connected. Do you really care about people? Do you have their best interests in mind? Do you genuinely build rapport with people? Do you openly share information? And then the D stands for dependable. Do you do what you say you're going to do? Are you accountable, responsive? And so you can start to intuitively associate the behaviors that go with those four elements, right? Able, believable, connected, dependable. And if anyone's listening and asking the same question you are, wow, how do I measure up against those four elements? Well, okay, 
you know, yeah, maybe I have the skills to do what I do. Maybe there's some room for improvement there, right? Maybe I need to pursue some ongoing education. Am I a believable person? You know, most people think they're a person of integrity, but are there times that I fudge the truth? Did I manipulate the truth? Do I spin it a little bit, right? I like to say, save spin for the gym, not the workplace, right? Connected. Do I really care about people or are they just chess pieces on the chessboard to help me accomplish my strategic goal, right? And then dependable. Do I tell that investor, oh yeah, I'll get the prospectus to you by the end of the week. And then the next week rolls around and you're like, oops, sorry, apologies for being late, right? You know, what does that send to the, the person, right? We think it's oh, just a casual, I was a day or two late. But to the person you're dealing with, that might be a real big warning flag. So you're spot on, Jess. I think most of us unintentionally erode trust by just not being cognizant of those behaviors that align with the four elements of trust and making sure that we're proactively building trust through able, believable, connected, dependable. That's great. I love the you know, I, I think sometimes earlier in my life, like hearing acronyms or things like this felt like, I, I don't know, it, it didn't feel like as professional or sophisticated or something. And like the longer I go through life, the more I'm like, oh, I'm looking for one of those because yeah. I actually want to be able to remember this. Ah, like, exactly. I, you know, like having something that is easier to stick in the mind so it can actually be useful because then I'll, I'll use it enough to get good at it. Absolutely. Uh, you know, what? Simplicity so, is the ultimate sophistication, according to Da Vinci, go. right? There you go. There you go. You got it. You know, one of the fun activities I like to do with folks when we're talking about trust is I'll say, okay, I want you to picture the word trust and anyone listening can do this. Picture the word trust. And I'll ask you, Jess, to respond to this. If you had to draw a picture of what trust represents to you, what would that picture be? It'd be a picture of like handing my wallet to somebody and letting them drive away with my wife. Oh, the wallet and the wife <laughs> and your car. <laughs> right? That's great. And if we were in a group of people, everyone would probably have a different image of what trust represents. And I love to do that exercise because it illustrates a fundamental truth about trust. And that is trust is based on perception. And those perceptions are formed by the behaviors that we use. And so when we talk about trust in an organizational context, in a leadership context, Back to the handiness of that ABCD model, that's the common definition. That's the common picture of trust for all of us. Because now that we as a team are all focused on trust looks like able, believable, connected, dependable, we can have conversations about that. It's not, oh, I think it's handing my wallet off to someone. Another person thinks, oh, it's the classic trust fall exercise, right? Or or someone else thinks trust is, you know, like a wedding ring, you know, the sense of commitment, it puts us all on the same page. So models, whether they're the ABCD models or anything else, they're there to help us humans take these complex ideas and put them into something manageable that we can use, right? That's all they are. It, it's not a dumbing down of anything. It's a operationalizing a bigger idea into something that we can use day to day. So thinking about the second half of your new book and, and really talking about trust, is there a story from one of those principles that you can share with us? Yes. Um, one of my favorite life experiences involves my oldest son, Michael. After he graduated high school, he really started going sideways. 
you know, started hanging out with the, the wrong crowd, started uh, dabbling in drugs, was, was really going off the rails. Fortunately, he came to me and said, Dad, I've got some problems. And we had a series of conversations over a weekend. And I remember vividly one Sunday afternoon, we're out in front of our house. We have a little basketball hoop there and we're you know, just casually shooting some baskets. And I say to him, Michael, this is the first time as a parent I've ever experienced anything like this. And I think it would be really good if we got some professional help, some counseling, someone to really help guide you and us through this. And he said to me, he said, dad, I'll do that if you think that's best, because I trust you and I know that you want what's best for me. And it was literally, I'm not trying to be over dramatic or, you know, mushy here, but it was like one of those movie reel instances, you know, you just see all these little snapshots running through my mind of, you know, playing Legos with him on the, you know, living room floor and coaching his sports teams and helping with school projects and going fishing and just all those little moments over time, planting those seeds of trust, building that relationship to where when the chips were really down and it was a tough circumstance, he trusted me enough to come to me and be vulnerable and share what was going on. And I don't say that just to like make myself to be this great superstar parent, because anyone who's a parent knows it's on the job training, right? Do you have kids, Jess? Four. Four? Yeah. Well, you've gotten extra on the job training. My, my oldest is leaving for college after the summer. So oh. I'm, I'm in that like space where it's like, it's definitely uncharted territory, right? Yeah. Well, you know, right? As a parent, it's on the job training. And I share that story because it's so illustrative of trust that you have to stick with it. It's the consistency of behavior over time that builds trust with people. And when you have done that hard work over time, when it's crunch time with your team, when your back's up against the wall, when you got to get that product released by the end of the month, whatever it may be, that's when you can cash in all those chips, right? And it's not even cashing in almost makes it sound like it's a transactional sort of thing. It's not. It's you've built that loyalty, trust, and commitment to where people instinctively say, yeah, you've invested in me so much. I'm willing to go the extra mile for you. Well, that story means a lot to me because I... I definitely became an overworker for, for a large part of my career. I was like, I was winning, like I was winning at the sport of business and it was like a drug. So I did more good, of it. Right. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, you know, Clayton Christensen's book, How Will You Measure Your Life? I've heard of it. Have not oh, read so it. good. It's so good. But he just talks about this idea of like, as a parent, how often we say, oh, I'll, I'll do that family time later. I just need to get this next promotion or I just need, right? And like, for me, it was like, oh, I just need to get this next investor. Oh, we just need to do this next deal or whatever. Yeah. And like, as my kids started getting like into those teenage years, something happened to me when I was like, oh man, at some point they're going to be choosing a spouse. They're going to be choosing a career. Mm -hmm. And if I want to have any influence, like I got to dig my well before I'm thirsty. There you go. And I looked and I was like, I haven't done enough digging. Like it was, yeah. it was like genuinely alarming of the, like, I've been around my kids. I don't think anybody would say I was a bad dad or whatever per se. Oh. Right. But the like, do I have that, like 
do I have that relationship beyond the obligation of I'm your dad? Like, do we have this friend relationship where like when they get in those tough spots, they're like, I'm going to be one of the people they want to talk to about the like, is this who I should marry and potentially spend the next 50, 60, 70 years of my life with and like, right? Yeah. Anyway, it's a great, it's a great story because I'm like, I'm sitting here hoping that I would get that kind of response, you know? Well, it reminds me of the myth of, you know, quality time over quantity of time, you know, and I think our culture has sort of helped us buy into that myth to sort of ease our conscience. Yeah, to rationalize overworking, right, you know, focus on self. Oh, you know, I only had an hour with the kids this weekend, but it was really quality time. We went to, you know, the carnival or, or whatever we did, right? Well, trust building happens in the quantity of time. It's all those little moments that add up that in and of themselves, you could look at them and say, really, is this the best use of my time? Or like, oh boy, all we did was sit here and watch cartoons together, you know, or, or in the workplace, all I did was sit here and listen to the person sort of vent about their, you know, problem or whatever. Yes. That's the time that's worth it. Trust is built in the quantity of time. And and it really, to me, speaks to the challenge we have with our ego. You know, we talk about servant leadership. Servant leadership, the first key is to get your ego out of the way. And too many leaders, I think, today are still focused on ego. What's in it for me? You know, I got to get that next investor, that next win, that next this, that whatever it is, there will always be a next, right? Someone always has a bigger boat. I, you know, I live in San Diego. I like to cycle. I like to bike ride a lot. I was down at the Harbor one time and I was taking the ferry from San Diego over to Coronado Island. Anyone familiar with the area knows about it. And these, these crew members of this big private yacht come on board and they're like, you know, talking about their yacht that they're working on and stuff. And, and I'm like, oh, well, that that's a pretty impressive yacht, but that's only like half the size of that other yacht parked right next to it. They're like, yeah, someone always has a bigger boat. You know, it's so there's always going to be a bigger boat, right? And we have to decide as servant leaders, what's the lasting impact we want to make, right? What's the impact we want to have? For most of us in life, it might be this, this, this limited area. Not all of us can be the titans of industry that, that are up there, but gets back to that, you know, the quality is really found in the quantity of time you spend with your people. That's where your lasting impact is going to be. That's funny is it, it's, it like requires putting our own agenda on hold. Right. And especially for more driven people that feel it feel, it can feel very expensive, Mm. right? It feels expensive to put my agenda on hold to like do what my sense, like when I'm thinking about them as a real life human being in front of me, what I'm feeling like, like the right thing to do (laughs) clashes sometimes with my agenda and like having the guts to do the hard, right thing, put my agenda on hold instead of the easy, wrong thing of rationalize how I'm going to get to it later. Yeah. Uh, Well, I think we've got time for one more story. Tell us one more, one more trust story from the book. Well, one of my favorite simple truths as it relates to trust is this one. Forgiveness is letting go of all hopes for a better past. And you're like, oh, Randy, that's kind of an odd, simple truth. Forgiveness, you know, trust, like what's, what's, what's up with that? Like, why did you include that in the book? Well, we included it because of several reasons. One is 
the importance of restoring trust. You know, trust is, it's the lifeblood of our relationships. And so many times when our trust has been violated, people have disappointed us. We, we refuse to give forgiveness because we feel like maybe it's letting the other person off the hook, right? Maybe it's removing consequences, you know, if we forgive them or it gives us something to hold over people, right? We like, like we're really, you know, getting them if, if we don't give them our forgiveness, you know, like that's really going to hurt them. It doesn't. The only person it hurts is us, right? When we choose not to forgive. And I love this truth about forgiveness is it has nothing to do with the person who wronged you. It has nothing to do with them showing remorse for what they did. Forgiveness is entirely under your control. It's under our control. Forgiveness cannot be earned. It can only be given. And in life and in leadership, relationships is what makes it happen. Leadership is all about relationships. If you don't like people and you don't like relationships, you should probably find an individual contributor role where you don't have to deal with people. But if you're a leader, you need to maximize your relationships. Forgiveness is so critical for that. You need to have, I like to say, a, a thick skin and a soft heart when it comes to being a leader because it's hard being a leader, right? Anyone who's walked in those shoes knows you catch a lot of flack. And yet you have to have that tender heart to still remember there are people that you're dealing with, right? Everyone has a story. Everyone has hopes and dreams and fears and insecurities. And what a privilege it is for you as a leader to be able to be in that person's life and to help them in their journey and moving forward, right? So forgiveness is so important. It's, you know, it's, it's just so critically valuable to relationship maintenance and the health of our relationships. So that's why we included it. It's, it's simple truth number 52. We end the book on it because especially over the last couple of years, given the COVID pandemic and all the challenges folks have been through, you know, losing loved ones or illness or losing their jobs or taking pay cuts. I, I've seen a lot of people holding on to unforgiveness you know, and so I just encourage folks, choose the path of forgiveness. You'll feel a weight lifted off your own shoulders. It'll make your own life better. Such an important message. I think about, sometimes I ask myself, like, why, why are those, why are there those handful of people that I struggle to forgive, yet I've done such stupid things that I want to be forgiven for? Like, wow. isn't this a two-way street, Jess? Okay, final question. There are so many people interested in similar subjects. The, the business book world is full of books. <laughs> right? You have really risen to a level that a lot of others haven't. I'm interested, what do you, what's one thing you attribute that success to? There's, there's a lot of smart people trying hard, but not as many people have, have reached the level of success that you have. Well, thank you. I'm flattered that you feel like I've reached a certain level of success. I would say consistency is a big key. The other is uh, generosity, really looking at how you can give to others. And then I think a third key is value. How are you adding value? So whether it's, in my case, whether it's writing a blog article or writing a book or giving a talk, how am I giving value to those that I'm interacting with? And so those, those are the things that really come to my mind. That's great answers. So uh, one last time, will you give people the name of the book and, and, the, and where they can see your blog? 
yeah, the name of the book, once again, Simple Truths of Leadership, 52 Ways to Be a Servant Leader and Build Trust. You can find it on Amazon. If you just want to learn more about the book itself, you can go to simpletruthsofleadership.com. That's the website for the book. My blog, if you're interested, is leadingwithtrust.com. Great. Well, thanks for making time for this. Thank you, Jess. It's been a real pleasure. Okay. Bye, everyone.